so it was in those moments where my students trusted me with what was going on in their personal lives, trusted me with what was going on in their hearts, um, that I really felt like a teacher. I was incredibly humbled by those moments. Um, and I just felt very connected with my students. Like I felt like I was making a difference and I was having some sort of impact that they were even willing to reach out and share that with someone else. You know that whatever we do and all that we do, it's a building block to a skill that they're going to need for the rest of their life. And to know that I have that responsibility is an overwhelmingly powerful challenge. To let them know that it will get better and that they're doing the right thing. And I think that's what made me feel the most, not necessarily like a teacher, but it made me feel like, Vanessa, this is what you're supposed to be doing. It was kind of like God reaching his hand down and telling me, you know, you've gone through some things yourself. You can now be this positive role model for these kids. You are listening to Yo Teach, the Iowa Council of Teachers of English podcast, episode four. This month, we're all about looking back at the year that was the 2016-17 school year. We hear from three ICTE members who have just completed their first year in the classroom. We also hear from a number of uh, Iowa English teachers from across the state about some memorable moments in their classrooms throughout the year. And of course, book talks to help you get your summer reading off to a great start. Hey everybody, Austin Hall here. As a member of the publications team of the ICTE Executive Board, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Yo Teach podcast. The podcast is produced every month for your enjoyment, and notes from each episode can be found at the online home for ICTE, www.iowaenglishteachers.org. Be sure to check out the website for all things ICTE. You can also follow our organization on Twitter at ICTE underscore board, and find us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now, let's get to the show. By the time that this episode of the podcast is released, most of you will have already completed your school year. For the rest of you, it's likely so close you can taste it. On behalf of ICTE, congrats on completing the educational expedition that is another year in the classroom. This year marks the completion of my eighth as a full-time teacher, and in many ways, it's been one of my most trying. Each year comes with its own unique set of challenges, but most of us would probably agree that reaching the finish line of that first year as a teacher comes with a special kind of relief. We can all probably vividly remember that first year where this whole teaching thing became real. I don't think I'll ever forget the seven preps, and five extracurricular activities that awaited me during my first year. Reflecting on any completed school year can be a bit of a whirlwind experience, but especially so at the end of year one. That's why I wanted the chance to learn from three of our own, Maureen Snook, Rafael Benitez, and Vanessa Horseman, who all just finished their first year teaching. 
I ask them all a series of questions that cover a variety of different aspects of their first year in the classroom. So whether you're still a pre-service teacher, a first-year teacher yourself, or a veteran of numerous years, we can all have a chance to learn from these three up-and-coming educators. Hello, my name is Maureen Snook. I am the 6th through 8th grade English language arts teacher at Holy Name School in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I did my undergrad at Simpson College, and so I graduated with my Iowa teaching license. Um, My student taught at Dowling. I am currently, in addition to the middle school English teacher and 8th grade homeroom teacher at Holy Name, I am a second year MAGIS student through Creighton University, So I am studying to get my graduate, my master's degree in educational leadership, um, in addition to teaching at Holy Name. My name is Rafael Benitez. I just completed my first year teaching at Loiza Muscatine Junior High School in Letts, Iowa. I taught eighth grade language arts and reading. I was also a junior high football coach and an assistant varsity football coach. And I'll also be at at a new school in a new district this upcoming year. I'll be the 8th grade literacy instructor at Bunger Middle School in Waterloo, Iowa. And I will also be coaching football there as well. My name is Vanessa Horseman, and I am an 8th grade English teacher at Holmes Junior High in Cedar Falls. And this is my first year of teaching. Um, I still kind of can't believe that that is true because it seems like student teaching was just the other day. Um, And other days, I couldn't be more grateful and proud to be where I am. All right. So after that brief introduction of the three of them, the first thing I wanted to know is what was a fun or embarrassing story from their first year in the classroom? Um, A funny story from this year was honestly inspired by something I saw on Facebook. Uh, Around April Fool's Day, there was this video of a teacher giving a fake spelling test to his kids. And I had about three different people send that video to me saying, oh, you have to try this with your kids. And the only class that I knew I would be able to pull this off with would be my sixth grade class. And so the night before um, I did this, I made up a fake spelling list and I told them that it was going to be part of this like archdiocesan spelling assessment. Um, I had just found out about it. I wasn't able to give them any advance notice um, so that we just kind of had to roll with the punches. And as I started saying some of these words like shibulary and menomenon, hashtag selfie, um, with all of these ridiculous extra letters and spaces and symbols added in, um, my kids just kept giving me this weird look. And some of them were starting to panic because they didn't know how to spell it. Um, and then, um, once I told them it was time to start checking their words and we started going through, um, some of my kids were saying, this is ridiculous. I even had one girl say, Miss Snook, I don't even know what a hyphen is. Um, and then as soon as I revealed it was April Fool's, there was this pause and then they all got really mad at me (laughs) and they started yelling at me and saying that that was so mean, but then they were laughing at the same time. And it was just, it was a really fun moment that I got to have with my kids because although they were mad at me at the time and they kept saying they would get back at me, it was um, a fun kind of nice break in the middle of the semester just to kind of liven things up. Um, So that was a really fun moment from my year this year. 
Um, I think a fun and embarrassing story I had for my first year of teaching was the first time I had parent-teacher conferences. Uh, this woman with her with her daughter came in and sat at my table and said, "You look familiar." I said, "I'm sorry, I'm new. I'm new here, so I don't know too many people." And she said, "No, I remember you. You were you were a student when I was a teacher when you were in middle school." And I could just kind of shell shocked a little bit uh, because I never thought I never thought I'd reach that age where I would know somebody from my past when I was a kid, and now the tables are somewhat reversed where I'm teaching their child when they taught me. And I had that twice this past year. Um, it was kind of a I, don't, I can't I can't explain it. It was just it was just uh, speechless. And I would say uh, to know that life can can come around in many ways. Um, one of the most fun things this year for myself and my students, I think, was Rock the Word that was put on through a grant by Jen Paulson at Holmes, one of our instructional coaches, and it allowed for the students to meet, not only meet, but get a chance to talk to and write with these great um, nationally known authors like Andrew Smith, A.S. King, G. Neary, C.G. Watson, and E.E. Um, Trujillo. A lot of our students love reading, and we make that a priority 10 minutes every day. And for them to meet some of the people who have written books that have inspired them or made them feel the way they do about some things or able to relate really meant a lot. And for those who hadn't read some of their books, it urged them to reach out and branch out to something new. And so they had a chance to have an assembly with these authors. And I was even fangirling. I was starstruck having Andrew Smith in my classroom in room four um, doing a writing prompt and talking to our kids about what it means to be real and what it means to be authentic and life in general. And I think that's what these kids need is someone to be real with them. And I think that was the most fun and authentic experience in itself. One of the things I was also really curious about is moments from this past year where each of these three felt most like a teacher, where they realized that teaching was indeed what they were meant to be doing with their lives. The moment I felt most like a teacher didn't necessarily happen in one singular time. Um, but it was in moments where I noticed how much my kids trusted me. Um, there were several instances where I would have a student come in in the morning, not because they needed help, but because they wanted to talk about a rough situation that was happening at home, or they wanted to talk about um, some bad uh, feelings that were going on um, and some tension that was happening between them and one of their classmates. And they wanted some advice. They just wanted someone to listen to them. Um, and I had these kids trust. I've, I found that these kids were trusting me with incredibly um, personal things from their lives. At one point specifically, we had a memorial service for one of their classmates that had died when they were in third grade. Um, and this is with my eighth graders. So it had been about five years. Um, and this memorial service for their classmate ended up turning in into a moment where all of my kids were able to just take a moment and reflect on and feel all of the loss that they themselves have experienced in their own lives. Um, and it was really 
touching to see these kids connect in that way and to comfort one another and forget about whatever drama they had um, or whatever social drama they had going on in their life um, and just really take a moment to like stop and look at the bigger picture. Um, and if anyone's worked with eighth graders, you know that they're not necessarily um, people who will reach out and ask for a hug if they need it. Um, but I had several of my students come up to me and just like give me a hug because they needed that comfort. And um, so it was in those moments where my students trusted me with what was going on in their personal lives, trusted me with what was going on in their hearts, um, that I really felt like a teacher. I was incredibly humbled by those moments. Um, and I just felt very connected with my students. Like I felt like I was making a difference and I was having some sort of impact that they were even willing to reach out and share that with someone else. A moment where I felt most like a teacher uh, is when I was able to bring real life experiences to the classroom um, where I was able to use some of my personal stories and apply them to the unit in particular when we had our immigration unit uh, being the son of an immigrant I was very passionate about the topic and in the end I was able to bring um, one immigrant and then we were able to Skype um, at least a dozen immigrants from an ESL class in Blackhawk Community College in Rock Island, Illinois. It provided the eye-opening occurrence that my students needed. Like it, they finally had that moment because they never had such exposure before up until that moment. And to see to see it and experience it was was incredible. To get um, an article in our local newspaper about it was was awesome to kind of see and spread the word of the great things we were doing in the classroom. Well. I would say it wasn't necessarily that I felt most like a teacher. I kind of felt like an out-of-body experience. So far, between student teaching and then this first year of teaching at Holmes, I also teach one class at Pete Junior High, which is across the road. But um, I've had five, a total now, of five students who have come to me with suicidal plans or worries and they've reached out to me privately to come to my room and talk let me know how they feel and I'm not sure necessarily why that is I do make sure that my room is a safe space and I've told them that um, without going into detail I have told them that I have experienced um, mental disorders as well and that that is okay and I think maybe because I preface that so many people do have um mental illnesses or mental disorders or things that they're dealing with, um, I really try and make it known that everyone is facing their own battles. Um, and Megan Tresmer, my former mentor in student teaching, she always prefaced that. And I think it's a great takeaway. And it's so true. Everyone is facing their own battles. Um, and during these moments when these kids would come to me, sometimes I just wanted to cry and break down. But at but I knew I couldn't. I knew I had to be the strong one. And they were coming to me um, to not only did I have to report these things, but to let them know that it will get better. 
and that they're doing the right thing. And I think that's what made me feel the most, not necessarily like a teacher, but it made me feel like, Vanessa, this is what you're supposed to be doing. It was kind of like God reaching his hand down and telling me, you know, you've gone through some things yourself. You can now be this positive role model for these kids. And I never would have expected five kids to come to me with these thoughts and feelings. And that's not to say that it's a high number. It's just there's probably a lot of other kids in other schools and in my same school who surprisingly have these same feelings or thoughts or plans in their head, but they just don't feel comfortable enough to come through to adults in their lives. And as much as it felt like a burden on my soul that they were trusting me with these things because I take things very personally, I had to look at it in the point of view that, you know, Vanessa, they're trusting you with Um, They feel comfortable enough with you to trust you and talk to you. And that's what made me feel like a teacher. And obviously, like I said, I I reported these things and made it known to counselors. And I didn't just keep this to myself. But I felt in those moments that were very serious and sometimes dark, hearing these students talk about their feelings and their depression, and their anxiety, and sometimes even their plans, and I've received it in the form of a story, which was very, very dark, um, they, they reached out, and that's the important part, and I felt like I was trusted, and I made them feel safe. In retrospect, at the end of the school year, I was also curious about what they thought they wished they would have known before beginning their first year in the classroom. Something I wish that someone would have told me before entering the classroom is that you're going to have bad days, you're going to have bad weeks, you're going to have bad lessons. Um, Nothing is going to go perfectly. In fact, a lot will actually um, not go well, and you'll just be happy when a lesson kind of sort of does okay. Um, But, you know, I like, yes, that happens, um, but I wish someone would have told me that You're going to have those bad days, but that's totally okay. There's no expectation for you to be perfect. There's no expectation um, for things to go well in your first year. You just need to survive. It's normal for um, first-year teachers to have rough days, and you're going to make it through, and you're going to learn from it. In retrospect, at the end of the school year, what is something I wish I would have known before beginning my first year? If someone were to tell me, hey, you're going to encounter a parent who's very, and what we call them helicopter parents, I think now working yourself up until the situation happens. Like so, I, I had this situation where this this parent was pretty uh, aggressive when it came to having their child accused of plagiarism, and of course, plagiarism is a serious serious matter. But uh, I think I worked myself up a little too much, and I I became scared, which is something that. I'm not typical with, especially when it comes to confrontation. I'm more more than willing to confront somebody about an issue, um, but it was intimidating to deal with a parent because um, you don't have, you have no idea what they're gonna say. You don't know if they're gonna agree with you or they're gonna take their parent or their child's side. Uh, you really don't know until you you do that. But I think I made it much worse than what it needed to be. I think being a first year teacher sometimes you always forget that you're an adult now. Uh, and so you're going to more likely talk with another adult 
and have an adult conversation about a child. It's not so much where you think, you know, a parent's going to act like a child. Hopefully not. Um, sometimes it does happen, but nine times out of ten it won't. But I think if I if I would have had someone tell me, you're going to have these these times, just remember to stick to your guns, trust your gut, know that you have your administrative support and your staff support to back you up. And that's another thing is to involve your principal or admin or district, or not, excuse me, or your building leader um, about a scenario that you might feel uncomfortable with. That way they're aware of it. That way they can provide you the support that you need if you need it. You need to get on a schedule. You need to be able to go on a walk and not come home and take a nap. And I would say just knowing to take care of yourself and knowing when to say no to things. I also coached cheerleading this year, and I took that on because I was a former cheerleader at Cedar Falls, and I just felt so proud and so spirited to be able to do that, but at the same time, it was a lot to coach 8th grade and ninth grade football, basketball, and wrestling, and then also go all the way into the spring for clinics and a parade in the summer. It was a lot to take on, and so I... In a way, I don't regret it, but it's okay to say no. And I think as much as people try and push you to do a lot your first year, really just try and concentrate on what's at hand in your area of study and do the best that you can. You don't, you're not expected to be a rock star off the bat because as teachers, we're all growing no matter if you're in your first year or your 25th year. How about advice? Advice that you'd give to veteran teachers wanting to better assist and mentor young teachers entering the field. A suggestion or a recommendation um, for mentoring teachers who are looking to help um, new teachers entering the profession would be to stay positive. Um, First year teachers, at least in my experience talking with my friends, Um, It's really easy for us to get down in the dumps about a lesson that went wrong or about the general stress of first year teaching. Um, So having someone that's like staying positive and encouraging um, is really helpful. Asking first year teachers, asking new teachers what they need instead of just saying, oh, well, this is what helped me. Like, that's great. But also ask them, is there a specific way I can be helping you? Is there something that you specifically need? Don't just assume that they know something or that they already have that. Ask them what they need. Ask, ask them what they need to know. Probably my best advice is giving them the confidence to succeed on their own. Um, I know when I student taught, I had a transition from middle school to high school because my student teaching was split into two placements. And I struggled mightily those first two weeks of my high school placement. And my mentor teacher was amazing, uh, Jenny McDaniel from Bettendorf High School. I mean, she worked with me slowly, patiently, gave me honest feedback, and was still, uh, still happy to give me the opportunity to lead on my own. And I think being challenged to create something on your own in multiple ways, that really grew my confidence as a student teacher, but also as a teacher. Um, I was able to create a lot of material on my own and I feel such I feel like a better and stronger teacher because of that creativity freedom and just uh just the confidence that was given to me Um, I think it's important for any 
any teacher, whether a student teacher, pra uh, practicum teacher, or first year, second year, I think, uh, a mentor giving them advice. I mean, sorry, the best advice is giving them the confidence. And my final thought for each of these three was after enjoying a well-deserved summer vacation, what were they most looking forward to trying, implementing, teaching, etc. next year? After my summer, which is going to be full of graduate classes, I'm really looking forward to tweaking how I do novel studies. Um, this year, we really only got through one novel in each of my classes, and that was a major disappointment for me. Um, and so I'm completely overhauling how I do novel studies. And next year, I will be implementing lit circles with my students. So instead of reading one huge class novel, I'm going to have small groups of students each reading a different novel, kind of of their choice. I will guide the choice, but students will get a say in what they're reading. Um, and they'll be doing their discussions and their analysis in those groups based on those novels. Instead of having to try to reach every single student from my highest achievers to my lowest achievers to my bored kids in the middle um, and my reluctant readers, trying to reach all of them in the same way was very difficult. So I'm excited to implement those lit circles and try to get kids more engaged, more involved in the reading process. Um, and as part of that, really upping my game with reading conferences to make sure that I touch base with every student consistently to make to check in with what they're reading. Do they need help finding a book? Um, and just trying to get them engaged in that reading process and finding a book and deciding if they like it and just kind of figuring out what they like to read so they have that skill going forward. And after, after this long year, um, the thing I'm most looking forward to teaching and trying um, the next year is obviously the new challenges of going to another building in another district. Um, I think I'm going to have first year teacher part two in my case. Uh, so I'm kind of have the repeats of getting to know staff and admin and the community kind of break the ice a little bit and kind of ease myself out of the awkward stages. But I think it's going to be a great challenge for me. It's a challenge that I've wanted for a while, and I'm finally getting the opportunity to teach in an area that I want to teach at and feel like I can make a difference. I'm excited to be part of the ICTE board. I'm excited for the next conference. I'm excited to potentially go to the NCTE. And, but most importantly, I'm excited to meet my new kids. Um, I got to meet some just yesterday. I was able to bring some of my school materials to my new classroom and Coincidentally, I was able to go to the school at the same time as the lunch that the students were eating at. And so I got to meet a lot of them and play basketball with a couple of them. Uh, so that that's really what it's all about is the kids. Um, and I know getting to teach eighth grade, um, again, I have some some experience with that on top of my student teaching with eighth grade. And... I get to teach one section of freshman English, which I think is going to be such a delightful treat for me. Um, I really enjoyed my ninth grade um, English classes, and that's kind of what sparked the interest in becoming a teacher in the first place. So knowing that I get to teach um, some of the same things that sparked my interest um, and really allowed me to develop as a person was that class. So I'm glad I'm able to hopefully carry on that torch. But I also think... I don't know. It's it's such an incredible journey being a teacher, and it sounds so cliche and 
anybody from the outside would think it's incredibly cheesy, but everyone inside the profession, especially the English teachers, you know that whatever we do and all that we do, it's a building block to a skill that they're going to need for the rest of their life. And to know that I have that responsibility is an overwhelmingly powerful challenge. And I'm so glad I was chosen to do this profession. Um, like I said, I can't believe my first year is over. It's summer, just like that. Today is my first day um, off, technically. Um, and looking toward next year, I have a lot of things that I've reflected on that I want to revise for next year in my lesson plans. I'm also looking at taking a class this next week called um, it's for second chance reading, and even though I won't be teaching any lower level English classes next year, I'm really excited to try and incorporate some of the research and strategies used in SCR to use in any of my classes from here on out, and just to have some more research under my belt. Another thing is that I am hoping to go into a master's program probably not this year but in a year or two I want to I want to be able to know exactly what I'm passionate into going into for English or teaching wise and I'm not quite sure about that yet I know my boyfriend is very um, set on doing administration and I think he'd be great at that and he is very sure of himself for me I'm not quite sure what part of a master's program I want to go into yet. So I'm going to hold off a little bit, but it is in my future plans. So overall, this year has been incredible. Um, I wouldn't take anything back if I could. And I just hope that any other future first-year teachers out there, you take it each step, one step at a time. Um, that is my biggest piece of advice. Take everything one step at a time because that's all we can really do. And whether we know it or not, a lot of we're changing lives every day. doesn't seem like it. And sometimes we want to um, jump with joy when we hear that our student has an aha moment. Sometimes we want to rip our hair out when they don't have an assignment completed. But that's the joys of teaching. You have up days. You have down days. You just can't take anything too personal. And you learn along the way. We're not just teaching, we're learning. So thanks for listening and have a great summer, everybody. What a gift that is to be able to learn from new teachers in the immediate aftermath of their first year. Thank you, Maureen, Raf, and Vanessa, for being so open, honest, vulnerable, and willing to share your stories so that we all can benefit. A common thread throughout that segment was reflection to improve practice. Sometimes, though, reflection can be just as important as a means of appreciating accomplishments and recognizing all we've experienced with our students in a given year. To this end, the Yo Teach question for this episode was, Yo Teach, what's a memorable moment from the 2016-17 school year? 
So one of my most memorable moments from the school year would actually be what I'm working on right now. I had the opportunity to work with our instructional, one of our instructional coaches, as well as our talented and gifted teacher in completely rewriting our mythology unit for the end of the year. We are working to engage students with a menu of opportunities of learning and explore different types of cultures and their myths and how they tell um, stories that couldn't be explained otherwise. We're really excited to see how the kids engage with it um, rather than the typical Greek mythology since they're all familiar with Percy Jackson's stories of it and see what the outcome will be. We're hopeful for a great end of the school year. One of the things that um, we work on with our freshmen is literary elements and I do little mini like climax checks for the short stories that we read and um, this particular student or several actually just couldn't understand what a climax was after we talked about it a couple times and so um, we pull I pulled her in for a um, intervention and we just we just talked about it and we did a short little activity with climax and for some reason it clicked and a um, couple you know climax checks later later um, I kind of just mentioned to her I was like hey you know, you're, you're doing great with these climax checks and you're getting them right on um, the nose, like your explanations were great. And she goes, yeah, I think that actually, that um, time we talked about it really helped. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it was a very small, insignificant time that I spent with her for like five minutes and we literally talked about it for like five minutes, but somehow it clicked and it just felt really good to just have her say that I, I got it. Um, thanks for spending the extra time with me, so. That was really a feel-good moment. All right, so my memorable moment of the year uh, yesterday uh, was the conclusion of our American Dream Unit where we talked about immigration in the United States and kind of had a revolving um, objective of learning about theme and um, different perspectives. Um, and so on, after we read Enrique's, Enrique's Journey by Sonia Nazario, uh, we had a panel of immigrants uh, come talk to the students. Um, I was in contact with an ESL, ESL instructor from a local community college where my students got to Skype them and ask them questions about their journey um, coming to America, their struggles obstacles and their triumphs and just an overall message and then we had a we were actually able to bring one to class uh, to talk to us about an hour and a half and just seeing the look on those on the students faces of just like wow like this is a real human being like it's not just stuff that I see in the news or hear about like as if they're numbers or stats like these are real human beings just trying to have the same goals that you and I have is to be happy to make this our home. I think for me, a memorable moment is really not one particular moment. It's the accumulation of lots of days of just feeling like this group of kids um, has a special bond. And, you know, I've got my after school crew and just some of the comedy that happens, you know, from some of my children. <laughs> um, and that there's a real sense of respect among the students for one another in this shared space. Um, and for me, and um, because I am moving into a new school next year, 
to be able to see how those bonds and those relationships have built with older siblings and with friends and with cousins and all of those sorts of things. So I think for me, it's really just that sense of community and appreciation for the people that we spend time with every day. This has been my first year as the Iowa Council of Teachers of English president, and most of my memorable moments professionally have been tied to this organization. In the fall, I was lucky enough to get to attend the fall conference and get to witness the passion that is across the state for teaching language arts and working with students. Um, the people at the conference, the presenters, the people I was talking to in different sessions, um, the people that hung out socially on Thursday night all inspired me to work harder to be a better resource for teachers across the state. Later in the fall, I was able to go to NCTE and represent the Iowa Council there. Um, one of the most rewarding professional development experiences I've had is tied to a conference on English leadership that I was able to attend. It's actually the Sunday, Monday post NCTE. And if you have any leadership roles in your district or position, it is a phenomenal conference. Um, not only literacy issues, but I got to hear Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher talk about how to lead these things in your district and in your building. And that was really inspirational for me. Um, finally, today I got to work with the ICTE Executive Board and watching the group of people that we have um, and their inspiration for the passion projects and, and getting to help um, support them in whatever way they need. These have been my memorable moments for the year. Um, this is Missy Springsteen Hop from Clearing Goldfield Dallas Middle School. I teach 7th and 8th grade language arts. And in thinking about a memorable moment for this school year, Will, I would like to think of, I'm sure, the thousands of moments in which I have impacted young lives and created a love of writing in middle schoolers. The only moment that is sticking out in my mind from this school year at this point in time as I near the end is a moment from my classroom as I was teaching a mini lesson at the front of the room and something fell from my pocket with a soft whap as it hit the ground and the 14 year old eighth grade boy who sat in the front row pointed and said what's that and the entire class craned their necks to look down at the floor to see the tampon that had fallen out of my dress pants pocket as I was teaching which I promptly picked up and in a moment of sheer awkwardness held like the torch of the Statue of Liberty before placing it back in my pocket and the stunned silence of the classroom before the explosion of class of a class full of laughter is the moment from this year that is sticking out the most in my head right now. Well, I also had an experience with the Statue of Liberty, a little bit different from Missy's. Um, 
but uh, I'm an instructional coach now. I'm Jennifer Paulson from Cedar Falls, Iowa. And so I don't always get to teach every day. And uh, on this day, I was teaching about Ellis Island and immigration and the Statue of Liberty. And we started with the Google expedition to go visit the Statue of Liberty in uh, VR, virtual reality. And then we studied the poem Colossus. So I got to teach about manspreading and uh, how the Colossus poem was a feminizing of uh, the original Colossus. Um, and the kids educated me about where that was located in the ancient world. I don't remember that though, so apparently I didn't keep it. But um, that was the same day that um, the people spread the banner across the um, Statue of Liberty that said refugees welcome on, and I saw it on Twitter so as I was teaching history history was happening about the same place and that was a really cool like nexus of knowledge. I'm Allison Berryhill uh, from Atlantic High School. And I was just thinking of something that happened fairly recently. April is uh, National Public Health Month. And two of my journalism students made a video um, by going down to the, our family planning clinic and talking to um, the director there about family planning and STD testing there in our community. And they just handled it really well. They asked a lot of really good questions that students want to ask, like, do my parents have to know if I come here, and what is involved in STD testing? And um, I'm, I'm just really proud of them when they tackle a topic that kids really care about and handle it in a responsible way. So that was, um, that was, a, that was a good day. I'm Joanne Gage from Mount Vernon High School, and a memorable moment from my school year was teaching a J-term class. We have 12-day classes in January where we do more project-based learning, and my J-term was a video journalism class. So most of what the kids reported on were other J-terms and field trips and everything. We did more than just that, but it was really fun to see the kids experiment with interviewing and technology and videotaping and create something that lots of people saw. If you're interested, it's on themustangmoon.com or just uh, Google J-Term in Mount Vernon. They're fun classes to teach. So my memorable moment of the year came at the NCTE conference when I uh, stopped Kelly Gallagher before he walked into um, kind of a, a panel discussion that um, he was supposed to be leading at a table to be sure that he could give a shout out to his professional girlfriend, Haley Malis. And um, I recorded a little video of him um, saying hello to her since she couldn't be in Atlanta for the conference um, and then sent it to her via text so that, um, you know, she could be there with us even though she wasn't able to be there. Haley, guess who I'm with? Hey, Haley, I came all the way here from California to see my professional girlfriend <laughs> here. How could that possibly be? I've stood up 
but uh, hopefully we'll catch up next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. For this episode, I have two books to talk to you guys about that I'm sure no matter what side of the spectrum you are on as far as uh, your reading interests, that will definitely get you going here with your summer reading. Uh, the first book I'm going to talk about is a nonfiction book that I've read a, uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, it's called Originals, How Nonconformists Move the World, uh, written by Adam Grant. Uh, and this is a book that's out of the mold of Malcolm Gladwell's books, whether that's Blink or The Tipping Point or, or books like that. Uh, a book that definitely looks at um, the nonfiction side of the world, but uh, is presented in a way that's really interesting and makes you think about things uh, differently than when you've uh, started reading the book, I'd say. Basically, uh, the premise of the book here is that... Uh, the challenge of improving the world from the perspective of being original, uh, choosing to be a champion for novel ideas and values that go against the grain, uh, that battle conformity, uh, that buck outdated trends and traditions, uh, and this thought of how can we originate new ideas, policies, and practices without risking it all, without uh, pushing the envelope to the point that you know we get fired or, or whatever else. Uh, and so it's really just uh, gives you some insight about rejecting conformity and improving the status quo, which I know for me as a teacher is something I'm, uh, I like to think I'm always trying to do, pushing the envelope, trying new ideas uh, of what it means uh, to be an English teacher. And that's kind of the, the frame of mind that I entered uh, my reading of this book with. Uh, and so what's cool about this book is that Grant uses a wide range of different examples to illustrate uh, the many points that he makes throughout the book. And, and I found... Uh, most of them to be pretty persuasive. One of my favorites uh, of these points that I found really fascinating is this idea that uh, the web browser that people uh, choose to use can actually be an indicator um, how innovative they might be. Uh, so basically what, uh, what he finds or what he looks at is that uh, for those people that rely on the default choice of, def of uh, web browser, uh, so for most people that's gonna be your Internet Explorer or Safari, he found that moving out of uh, the comfort zone is unlikely. Uh, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense that you wouldn't seek out any alternative uh, web browsers, you're just using what's presented to you. On the other hand, those people who actually take the time to investigate, uh, research, look up and download alternative web browsers like uh, Google Chrome or Firefox, those people are more predisposed to be innovative. Uh, and so he Grant tests this hypothesis in the real world with uh, customer service reps uh, in call centers. And basically they found that uh, the people who were using Chrome and Firefox were far more successful and satisfied uh, in their roles. Uh, and so that's something, um, you know, a small example, but this that's the type of approach that this book uh, takes and, and looks at of, of what it takes to be original. A couple quotes from the book that I particularly like is that uh, being original doesn't require that we are first. It just means that we're different and better. And that to become original, you have to try something new, which means accepting some measure of risk. Uh, and to me, this idea of risk taking being tied in with uh, being original is, is something that's really, I, I think, interesting, but also motivating that uh, it's okay to take a risk. Because when you think about it, that's, uh, you know, what it means to be different and stand out and, and not being different to be different, but that that's like actually what drives 
the world forward is by trying new things and, and maybe making mistakes, but learning from those mistakes and, and trying a lot of different things and seeing what sticks. And the final example I'll, sh I'll share is one that I think a lot of people will find uh, appealing out of this book. Uh, and that point is that procrastination can really be a positive thing. Grant in the book discusses how procrastinating often triggers the most creative and productive results. Uh, and he looks at a bunch of different examples, but the one that sticks out to me the most is actually uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in his famous I Have the Dream speech. Well, he goes into the background behind that actual uh, speech and you find out that uh, MLK didn't even begin writing that speech until, until 10 o'clock at night uh, the night before he delivered it, and he was revising it right up until he actually delivered the speech. Uh, and so the connection here is that those of us who are maybe seen as procrastinators, it's our brains wanting to process the problem and come up with multiple solutions or the best solutions right up into the deadline. Uh, and so uh, those are just a couple of, of examples, but uh, reasons why I found originals by Adam Grant to be a really interesting book. And particularly if you're a uh, you know, you're reflecting on the school year and you're thinking you might want to try a couple new things. I think this is a book that uh, will give you that confidence uh, to go forward and, and try to be original in your own way. For the second book I'm going to share with you guys, I'm going to completely shift gears here uh, and talk about Station Eleven, a book written by Emily St. John Mandel. This is a book that, I'll be honest, I hadn't really heard of uh, up until a couple weeks ago uh, when it was recommended to me by uh, one of my uh, good friends and uh, colleagues at school. We've, we often talk about books and she often uh, shares what she's reading with me and vice versa. And so this is a book that she had uh, personally recommended to me. And so that was my impetus for uh, beginning to read it a couple weeks ago. Station Eleven is what you would uh, probably qualify as uh, speculative fiction. It's definitely uh, literary fiction too, but basically it's post-apocalyptic. It follows at the very beginning a production of King Lear in Toronto, and one of the main uh, characters in the play is uh, portrayed by a famous Hollywood actor. And basically what happens is he has a heart attack on stage uh, and dies on stage. And so at first you're not really sure what the book's gonna be about and it, is it about the fallout of this death or whatever, but uh, lo and behold that very night there ends up being a epidemic. It's like uh, the swine, the next evolution of the swine flu and it, it leads to uh, a mass extinction of people all across the world. And it uh, starts out from this very moment and, and leads into this post-apocalyptic world where uh, people are trying to survive. Now, what's cool about the book is it also then jumps 15 years uh, in, in the future to where the vast majority of the world's population has been uh, wiped out uh, and we're left with little packs of people in, in pockets of the United States as far as their... Um, attempts at survival. And so at that point, uh, the book follows a group of uh, what's known as the Traveling Symphony, which is basically a group of people performing Shakespeare plays on some nights and on other nights, symphony performances uh, by these people with their musical instruments and stuff. Now at the same uh, time here, we have an antagonist who uh, is, is introduced and there's sort of a mystery of 
uh, this hunt uh, of this antagonist uh, and um, trying to hunt down uh, maybe people of this uh, traveling symphony. But the book masterfully jumps ahead from this uh, future, 15 years in the future, to the past. Uh, it talks about after the, the fallout of this outbreak to before. Uh, the characterization is amazing. Uh, the way that these different threads are tied together by the author are just outstanding. It's a book that's definitely a page turner, but I wouldn't necessarily qualify it as like a, a suspense thriller type thing. But if you uh, if you haven't read much of uh, post-apocalyptic literature, I think this would be definitely something for you to check out. I honestly haven't read too much of that. I mean, obviously, I know there are books out there like... Um, the Road by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, on some level, this book sort of feels like The Walking Dead, but without zombies. But just that idea of what does it mean to be human uh, and what is the cost of survival uh, and things like that. And it really does explore a lot of uh, unique human human themes. Uh, and I, I really, really like this book, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Uh, it was up for the National Book Award in 2014, was a finalist for that has won a couple other awards too. In some ways, I, I just think it's a book that a, a lot of you guys would really, really enjoy. So by Emily St. John Mandel, uh, Station Eleven would be a great book to start off your summer reading with. In English classrooms across Iowa every day, we ask our students to share their voices through their writing. And now ICTE is asking English teachers to do the same. Please send us something for the ICTE teacher writings page. New teachers, experienced teachers, no topic is off limits. We want to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Yo Teach Podcast, Episode 4. The podcast is written and produced by me, Austin Hall. We'll be taking a bit of a break from our normal release schedule for the summer, though I may put out a few book talks throughout the next couple of months. Look for the podcast to pick back up in earnest as the summer winds down, with Episode 5 to be released in mid to late August. If you enjoyed what you heard, please let us know by reaching out to us on Twitter at ICTE underscore board, following our Facebook page, or commenting in our Facebook group. Also, be sure to bookmark our website, www.iowaenglishteachers.org, and check it out often. That's where you'll be able to find show notes from this episode that include all the pertinent links and info. And now for a handful of announcements, shameless plugs for some upcoming ICTE events and opportunities. Number one, the teacher writings. You heard the commercial just a few seconds ago from Missy Springsteen Hop. Just want to reiterate, this is an initiative that uh, we really want to continue. So if you uh, would access the website or look on our Facebook uh, page and Facebook group, you'll be able to find out how to submit writings uh, to use for our teacher writings page. If you have any questions at all, uh, feel free to contact Missy and she'll be able to set you up with what we need uh, in order to keep uh, this awesome initiative rolling. Number two, 
Some of you on the Facebook group probably saw uh, from Haley Malis that we're with the success of our uh, preliminary uh, writing retreats inspired by the Iowa Writing Project. ICT is hosting a summer writing retreat. Uh, enrollment to this event is now open uh, and details are on the ICTE Facebook group. Uh, I'll also put them on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. So if that's something you had you missed out on uh, the first time around or uh, you really enjoyed it and want to come back, uh, as I'm sure a lot of you who attended probably probably feel, check out that information of how to enroll uh, into that upcoming summer event. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to contact Haley Malis at HaleyMJ at gmail.com. And finally, uh, registration is also now open for our annual fall conference that uh, happens in Johnston every October. Uh, many of you have likely already received uh, info uh, through our email mailing list. Um, if not, or if you misplaced that information, uh, you can definitely get that information on our website. Uh, that's where you'll be uh, registering for the events as well. Again, uh, Thursday, Friday, a two-day conference. We're really looking forward to it again this year, and you can get all that information on our website at www.iowaenglishteachers.org. Music for this episode from the Free Music Archive by BOPD, Little Glass Men, Josh Woodward, and Broke for Free. I want to also thank Maureen Snook, Rafael Benitez, Vanessa Horseman, and members of the ICCE Executive Board for their contributions to uh, this episode of the podcast. Thanks again, ICTE. Congrats on another year in the classroom, and thanks for doing what you do in order to make a difference in the lives of your students. Have a great summer. Take time to reflect, relax, refresh, renew, and recharge. It's a vital part of the job as it won't be too long until we turn the page to the 2017-18 school year. Until next time, this has been your host, Austin Hall, signing off for Yo Teach, the official podcast of the Iowa Council of Teachers of English.